We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Away we go, episode 408 of the Al Galdi podcast. It is Tuesday, September 27th, 2022, and uh, maybe it's good news that the Dallas Cowboys might have Dak Prescott back as their starting quarterback for this Sunday afternoon's game against our visiting commanders at one. The Cowboys improved to 2-1 overall and 2-0 and with Cooper Rush as their starting quarterback A 23-16 win at the New York Giants on Monday Night Football. Cowboys running backs Ezekiel Elliott and Tony Pollard ran wild and ran free. Combined for 28 carries for 178 yards and a touchdown. The Cowboys totaled five sacks. Uh, Not all in one half, but five sacks over the course of a game. And yeah, there are some things to be thinking about if you are a Commanders fan right now. Hello and welcome to a Tuesday installment of the Al Galdi podcast. A happy new year to all of our Jewish brothers and sisters in honor of Rosh Hashanah. You know, Commanders head coach Ron Rivera should perhaps be reading his Torah, uh, looking for some answers here. Uh, Ron, on Monday afternoon, was in rare form his day after the game press conference off the 24-8 Lost to the Philadelphia Eagles at FedEx Field on Sunday afternoon was quite the scene, man. Uh, Coming up, I will take you through every significant thing that Ron said. Uh, We had some testy exchanges with reporters. Uh, We had Ron being rather blunt in something that he said to reporters about them. (laughs) We, We had Ron discussing a lot of what went wrong in the loss to the Eagles, including, yeah, the giving up of nine sacks, including six in the first half. You know, Ron very clearly believes that his players need to play better, although he did acknowledge that the coaches can be better too, and ain't that true. Everyone can be better. A lot to take in from Ron on Monday afternoon, so over the course of not one but two segments, I'll discuss what Ron said and hit on some other things from Commander's Eagles, including the play calling of offensive coordinator Scott Turner, uh, what went on for the Commanders at running back and tight end, and some thoughts on the Commander's defense. Also on the show, the Nationals. Uh, They now officially are a 100-loss team in the 2022 MLB regular season. What we have known for months was going to happen has happened. Uh, Some good stuff from Nats manager Davey Martinez on that off an 8-0 loss to the National League wildcard leading Atlanta Braves at Nationals Park on Monday night. That was a fitting loss to give the Nats 100 losses and 8-0 drubbing at the hands of the mighty Braves. Uh, And I'll talk Orioles. What a win for them on Monday night. A 14-8 rain-delayed victory at the Boston Red Sox. The O's hit like crazy in this game. A number of Orioles had big games. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Email from Michael A. Lindsay, PhD, on Ron Rivera. Writes, Michael, I'm convinced Ron is not fit for this gig. After all, we hired a coach who was fired in midseason and gave him the keys to it all. In what other NFL organization does that happen? Well, It happens here. Thanks, Dan. We are dysfunctional in every way. This team will be lucky to win five games this year. But Al, you're a winner. (laughs) And so 
is your podcast. Well, thank you for that, Michael. I will take that. I appreciate that. You know, when the Redskins on New Year's Day 2020 hired Ron Rivera as their head coach in a coach-centric approach, my hope was that Ron would do for the Skins what Andy Reid has done for the Kansas City Chiefs. And here's what I mean by that. Uh, Ron was the head coach of the Carolina Panthers for a long time, just like Andy was the head coach of the Philadelphia Eagles for a long time. Uh, Ron, as Panthers head coach, won an NFC championship, but did not win a Super Bowl, just like Andy, as Eagles head coach, won an NFC championship, but did not win a Super Bowl. Uh, Ron, in his second go-round as an NFL head coach, was given the reins in a coach-centric approach, just like Andy, in his second go-round as an NFL head coach, was given the reins in a coach-centric approach. Heck, Ron was Eagles linebackers coach under Andy Reid from 1999 through 2003. So there were a lot of parallels slash connections here. Andy Reid as Chiefs head coach has done better than he did as Eagles head coach. His second act as an NFL head coach has been better than his first act as an NFL head coach. That's what I was hoping for from Ron Rivera with the Skins, who then became the Washington football team, and now are the Commanders. Uh, Well, Ron's regular season winning percentage as Washington head coach is 417. Andy's regular season winning percentage as Chiefs head coach <laughs> is 709. Uh, to say nothing of, you know, Andy having won a Super Bowl as Chiefs head coach. Uh, so, yeah, we're not quite there yet with Ron doing with Washington as Andy has done with the Chiefs. Uh, email from Kim on the Commanders writes Kim Al Carson Wentz was like a statue on Sunday. When he did scramble, it was so awkward looking. I kind of thought that after the fifth sack, they should have put in. Taylor Heineke. I'm not looking for a quarterback controversy, but if our line can't protect Carson, put someone in who can move. In this game, there was unrelenting pressure and Carson couldn't handle it. Uh, Thank you for the email, Kim. Carson Wentz did not play well in the loss to the Eagles. Uh, Of that, there is no question. I did not think that he should have been benched for Taylor Heineke, but I will say this. One of the reasons that I understood moving away from Taylor as Washington's QB1 was that Taylor's bad was really bad. Taylor last season was great in some games, but he was awful in some other games, including each of the two losses to the Dallas Cowboys. And it's hard to win when you have a starting quarterback who is prone to playing in a terrible way multiple times in a season. And Taylor, because of some physical limitations, seemed prone to that. Well, Carson Wentz in the loss to the Eagles on Sunday afternoon had a terrible game. You know, Carson's total QBR per ESPN for the game as of Monday afternoon was 11.4. That is horrendous. Total QBR is on a scale of 0 to 100. Uh, Now, Taylor Heineke in three of his last four games in the 2021 regular season had total QBRs that were each less than 7. Those (laughs) were horrendous too. We knew that Carson was likely to be a roller coaster, but the hope was that the lows wouldn't be so low. Well, the low on Sunday afternoon at the loss to the Eagles was quite low, and he knows that. And I give him credit. He, during his postgame press conference on Sunday, made it very clear that he played poorly and that a good chunk of the nine sacks by the Eagles were on him as opposed to on the offensive line. So hopefully what happened on Sunday afternoon proves to be rock bottom for Carson this season, but that was an especially bad rock bottom. Well, we always hope that you are doing well, but if the negligence of someone else has negatively impacted you, the way that the Eagles' pass rush negatively impacted Carson this past Sunday afternoon, know that the law firm of Paulson and Nace is there for you. If taking care of you and your situation is pass protection, then Paulson and Nace is the hogs. Paulson and Nace will fight for you. If you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. Paulson and Nace is a Washington, D.C.-based family law firm that handles medical malpractice, personal injury, birth injury, legal malpractice, and consumer protection cases, offering aggressive advocacy for victims in Washington, D.C. and West Virginia. Call 202-902-7611, and when you call, make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Paulson and Nace treats its clients with respect and dignity and wants what is best for the firm's clients. Paulson and Nace will treat you, your family, and your situation with the care and expertise that you deserve. And Paulson and Nace is excellent at what it does. Paulson and Nace has recovered millions of dollars for the sick and injured. Heck, just last month, Paulson and Nace won a case for which the United States government must pay nearly 
$1.8 million. Uh, this to a former American University field hockey player because of a military doctor's failure to diagnose and treat the student for a 2011 concussion that left her with permanent symptoms. Uh, you may have read about this. Paulson and Nace took on the U.S. government and won. If you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. If you feel that you've been wronged, if you think that you've been wronged but aren't sure, call Paulson and Nace and schedule a no-obligation appointment. Call 202-902-7611. That's 202-902-7611. And when you call, tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. You can also visit paulsonandnace.com. That's paulsonandnace.com. And don't forget to tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Paulson and Nace, when tragedy happens, let the family of Paulson and Nace take care of your family. Well, know this, and I tweeted this on Monday morning in an attempt to make both myself and others feel better. Uh, the team now known as the Commanders has been one and two through three regular season games in each of the last three seasons in which the team has made the playoffs, 2012, 2015, and 2020. So you see, <laughs> the Commanders being one and two so far in the 2022 regular season Ain't such a bad thing after all. Uh, we on Monday afternoon had the day after the game press conference of head coach Ron Rivera off the commander's 24-8 loss to the Philadelphia Eagles at FedEx Field on Sunday afternoon. Now, Ron Rivera during his day after the game press conference on Monday afternoon was, uh, shall we say, in a bit of a mood, uh, which was understandable, but he gave some very vague and short answers during the presser. Uh, these Ron Rivera day after the game press conferences that follow wins almost always feature expansive answers and the press conferences can last for well over 20 minutes. Uh, Monday afternoon's Ron Rivera day after the game press conference featured vague and short answers and it lasted for less than 15 minutes. Uh, take, for example, this exchange with Commander's Insider Matthew Paris of the Washington Times. This was great. Here you go. What have you kind of made of how you guys have done on first down specifically? Well, there's been some good things and some bad things. Okay. Um, I'll just pivot. <laughs> um, you mentioned Dr. James Andrews was going to be there on Sunday. Did you get any injury updates or anything like that? Yeah, he had an opportunity to examine uh, our guys. Yay, nay. We'll see. <laughs> <clears throat> All righty. Uh, can you say awkward? Uh, how about this exchange between Commanders insider Pete Haley of NBC Sports Washington and Rod Rivera regarding quarterback Carson Wentz and him taking nine sacks and the loss to the Eagles off having taken five sacks and the loss at the Detroit Lions in week two? In your experience, what are the best ways for an offense to scheme up against pressure or, or get out of these situations that you guys have found yourself in recently? Well, I think big part of it is we got to make sure that we are um, we are executing the things that we need to do, and uh, we got to continue to try and make sure we're putting them in the in the right position. Carson, part of the appeal is that he can hit these downfield throws you guys maybe haven't had in the past, but quicker throws can beat pressure. Is it hard to get a guy like that to buy into some of the shorter stuff or, or have him do that when you're so uh, you know, in love with what he can do downfield too? Well, you know, there were some things that we tried to beat the pressure with some of the quicker throws. And what happened on those things when you weren't able to beat the pressure there? Some of them worked and some of them didn't. Hey, <laughs> there you go. You know, Rod Rivera wasn't wrong. Some of them worked and some of them didn't work. Uh, a significant portion of Ron's presser on Monday afternoon was about the beating that Carson Wentz took in the loss to the Eagles. The commanders in the game allowed a staggering nine sacks and 17 quarterback hits. Those stats still are hard to believe. I mean, this was shades of the John Beck game. Do you remember the John Beck game? October 30th, 2011, a 23-0 Redskins loss to the Buffalo Bills in Toronto. The skin starting quarterback was John Beck, who got sacked 10 times and was the victim of 16 quarterback hits. And that game forever changed the way that people looked at and talked about John Beck. Uh, well, this is the territory that Carson Wentz was in on Sunday afternoon. Rod Rivera on Monday afternoon on what he and watching the tape of the loss to the Eagles saw regarding the nine sacks 
that the commanders allowed, and then you'll hear a follow-up exchange with Commanders Insider Nikki Javala of the Washington Post. Well, there's a combination of things. I think Carson put it put it pretty succinct last night. Um, you know, it, it's one of those things that we all share a little bit of the blame. And the ones you guys thought were on Carson, maybe holding the ball too long, can you fix that? Yeah, most certainly. I mean, there are some things that uh, he's got to see and, 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 and decide on quicker. You know, I, I think also what happened too was there were a couple of times when he did speed himself up, he didn't give the, the play an opportunity to develop a little bit more. So it's a combination of things, really. Yeah, and that is the truth. To me, it's simple. The nine sacks that the commanders allowed in the loss to the Eagles were a function primarily of three things. And you can put these things in whatever order that you want. But A, Carson Wentz, B, the commander's offensive line, and C, offensive coordinator Scott Turner. Uh, with Carson, he was at least partly responsible for a good chunk of the sacks, and the two fumbles that he committed can't happen. Uh, with the offensive line, there were way too many issues. Uh, right tackle Samuel Cosme for Pro Football Focus allowed a team-high six pressures, a team-high two quarterback hits, and a team-high three sacks. Center Wes Schweitzer had a number of errant snaps, and per Pro Football Focus, allowed five pressures and a team-high tying three hurries. Left guard Andrew Norwell, per Pro Football Focus, allowed four pressures and a team-high tying three hurries. Left tackle Charles Leno Jr. committed two false start penalties. And with Scott Turner, I don't know how you love his game plan and play calling in the first half on Sunday afternoon. I still don't get why we didn't see more quick game and more moving pockets from the commanders in that first half in which they got outscored at 24-0 and gave up six of the nine sacks. You know, one of the few good plays that Carson Wentz had on Sunday afternoon came on the commander's third offensive drive. Now, the drive resulted in a first quarter punt, but the third snap of the drive, Carson Wentz, a first and 10, 16-yard under center play action boot completion to receiver Curtis Samuel. Carson did a great job of placing the ball to where only Curtis could catch it. But there you go. Play action boot, a moving pocket, Carson throwing on the run. Why didn't we see more of that? On Sunday afternoon, did you know that Carson Wentz for the 2019 regular season was number two among all qualified quarterbacks in the NFL in grade for pro football focus on scramble drills at 85.7? PFF grades are on a scale of 0 to 100. Did you know that Carson Wentz for the 2018 regular season among all qualified NFC East quarterbacks had the highest grade per PFF on outside of the pocket passes? His grade was 80.9. There is quite a bit of data out there that suggests that Carson Wentz has been at his best when on the move and when throwing outside of the pocket. So why not do more of that in a game in which pass protection is a major issue? More from Ron Rivera on Monday afternoon on the commanders giving up the nine sacks in the loss to the Eagles. There's some things that happen that are really technical things. Some of those things are are things that happen that um, you know, we have to, in terms of, of with some of the protection things that we can do to help them, you know, as far as uh, what we want to call for our protections in those particular plays. All right. Something that became quite clear as Ron Rivera's day after the game press conference on Monday afternoon went on was that he's not at all happy with the level of play that he's getting from multiple players. Now, to that, you might say, no kidding. Uh, But Ron was rather forceful in this sentiment on Monday afternoon. And this was a sentiment, as you may recall, that he expressed to a degree in his day after the game Zoom press conference the previous Monday afternoon, September 19th, the day after the loss at the Lions. Uh, His point then being that the commander's defensive problems were more about execution of scheme than scheme. We'll take a listen to this. Ron Rivera on Monday afternoon on his level of optimism right now. Well, I'm optimistic. I've told you guys that yesterday. I'm an optimistic person. Um, But what has to happen is the guys that need to play better got to play better. That's the truth of the matter because you go back and look at some of the things that have happened. We had some opportunities in that game, okay, whether it was some of the things that happened, uh, you know, up front with the offensive line or it was some of the things that that happened, you know, downfield or some of the things that happened at other positions. I mean, there's some things that we have to fix, and that's the truth of the matter. Uh, We have to play better. You know, when we're in opportunities and situations to make something happen, we got to do those things. You know, we've, we've, we've looked at it. We've, we've figured it out. We've addressed it. Now we got to go out and do it. 
All right. And Ron Rivera then got asked a follow-up question, which was, are the commander's problems right now a matter of individuals executing? There's a couple of things that has to be have to be better. And, and overall, you know, there are some things that we can correct. Uh, we can make better on our on our side as well as coaches. Okay, so notable. Rod Rivera right there did say that the coaches aren't blameless here either, and I was glad to hear him say that because that is true. Uh, There is a collective blame, a shared blame for the position that the commanders are in. And then we later during Ron's day after the game press conference on Monday afternoon got a bit of a rant. Uh, So Ron got asked about things that the commanders have done schematically to adapt to Carson Wentz, and this was Ron's answer. Well, I, I think really it's just assimilating to him and him assimilating to what we do. I mean, we understand some of the things that he does. He does really well, and, and we try to feature those things in our offense. Um, I don't, you know, it, it's it's difficult to explain, but when you watch the tape and we see it, I mean, I know, you know, we know the things that have to be corrected. We know who to talk to. We know the players that we've got to talk to. Okay, and then us as coaches talk about things that we can do with protections to help a little bit more. Okay, those are all things that, 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 that we're working on right now. I mean, it's, 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 it's not as if we didn't look at the tape and we didn't know that a three-step beats some pressure sometimes or that you run a bubble screen to get it out on a zero blitz, stuff like that. I mean, those are things that we know, those things that we, we worked on, those things that we tried at some point in the game. And I think the thing that, you know, that, 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 that's really difficult for me is that if I do make an issue of something, then, and in all honesty, some of you will make it a bigger issue. And that's what I don't need, because I'm trying to get our guys to understand what we're trying to do, okay, and get them to understand that they have to play, but they know that. But just understanding what we're trying to do is important. And what I have to do also, I'm not going to get out here and start calling players out. You know, I mean, they know, they understand, they get it. They've they've heard from their coaches today. Shoot, I sat in most of those meetings. Went from one to the other and just listened. You know, and these are things that we're working on to fix. It's a young group of guys that are out there. There's some veteran guys that made some mistakes too. Young guys as well that have to learn and grow. And that's what we're working to do here. (laughs) So how about that? From Ron Rivera. How about that from Don Ron? Quote, if I do make an issue of something, then in all honesty, some of you will make it a bigger issue. And that's what I don't need. End quote. Uh, I actually understand what Ron is saying when he says that. If I start calling players out, then you people, i.e. you media people, i.e. you podcasts, are going to make a bigger deal out of that than I want made out of that. I understand where Ron is coming from when he says that. Uh, now, also from Ron Rivera in that cut that I just played for you was him saying that the Commanders did try some quick game in the loss of the Eagles. Uh, okay, uh, but boy, it sure didn't seem like the team went with a lot in the way of quick game. Look, I know that Ron Rivera isn't a dummy. I know that Scott Turner isn't a dummy. These guys know football. These guys have been around football for years. I'm sure there are reasons that Scott went with the plays that he called in that nightmare of the first half on Sunday afternoon. But here's what I'm also sure of. The results of those plays were abysmal. And so it's not unfair to question what was called and ask why what was called was called. I mean, if you watch the game on TV, the in-game analyst for Fox, a former Redskins player, former Skins offensive lineman, Mark Schlereth, he was questioning what Scott Turner was calling. Well, if you are wanting to buy a home in the Washington, D.C. area, there's no need to question whether now is a good time to buy. Now is actually a great time to buy. Yes, interest rates are up, but that has led to inventory being up, which means that prices are coming tumbling down. And remember, you can always refinance once the interest rates do come down. Get with Kellen Hunt as your real estate agent. If you are on the hunt for a home in the D.C. area, get with Kellen Hunt. Visit CloseItWithKellen.com. Dot com. That's close it with Kel, K-E-L-L dot com. Book a call with Kellen Hunt to discuss your real estate needs and make sure that you tell Kel 
that Al Galdi sends you. If you want to buy a home in the Washington, D.C. area, but are unsure whether now is the time to buy a home, know this, now is the time. Uh, It has been a crazy last few months in real estate, no doubt, but as was detailed in the Washington Post recently, there right now is a real estate market shift taking place, giving the upper hand to buyers. The window for buying a home is opening. Uh, Buyers have faced crazy competition for homes over the last few years, oftentimes losing out on homes. Well, the rising mortgage rates mean that the market now is not as competitive and inventory is starting to rise. Uh, Houses are also sitting longer and we are starting to see price reductions, all good signs for buyers. Uh, Now is the time to capitalize on this. Visit CloseItWithKel.com. That's CloseItWithKel.com. Book a call with Kellen Hunt to discuss your real estate needs and make sure that you tell Kel that Al Galdi sent you. Kellen Hunt has his finger on the pulse of developments all around the Washington, D.C. area. He is a DMV native. He lives and breathes the culture of the area. He has a wealth of knowledge when it comes to local neighborhoods and economical development and schools and market conditions and all that makes the Washington, D.C. area unique. And Kellen Hunt closes deals. He wins. He is here for you to listen to what you want and then get you what you want, no matter your age, family situation, or financial situation. Kellen Hunt can help you. Kellen Hunt is a real estate agent for real people, and Kellen Hunt is willing to put a portion of his commission back in your pocket. Yeah, you the buyer. Get a piece of the action. Kellen Hunt knows what buyers like you are facing, and he wants to help. So visit CloseItWithKell.com. That's CloseItWithKell.com. CloseItWithKell, K-E-L-L.com. Book your call with Kellen Hunt to discuss your real estate needs and make sure that you tell Kel that Al Galdi sent you. Visit CloseItWithKell.com. Book an introductory call with Kellen Hunt at CloseItWithKell.com. If you are trying to buy a home in the Washington, D.C. area, you will do well by going with Kel. Visit CloseItWithKell.com and tell Kel that Al Galdi sent you. Well, something else that came up during Commander's head coach Ron Rivera's day after the game press conference on Monday afternoon off the 24-8 loss to the Philadelphia Eagles at FedEx Field on Sunday afternoon was the concept of offensive identity. Ron Rivera on Monday afternoon on if he believes that the Commanders have found an offensive identity for this season. No, I think we're still working through it. I think some of the things that we've looked at in terms of, you know, we have... A, a mixture of playmakers, and we have to figure out the best way to use them, okay? We can't feel that our best three offensive players are our three wide receivers because if we go into that with that mindset, the Tennessee is going to want to throw the ball to get it in their hands. And with what we can do with our ability to run the ball, you know, we have to give that a shot as well. Um, I know not having Brian Robinson out there right now is hampering us a little bit, but we still have some very capable runners, you know, and, and so we got to look at that as an option as well. And then the same thing with the tight end position. We, we can't forget those guys. I mean, if, if you look at how many times we were, we were targeted there, you know, it, it's it, – and I do talk about the thing that's distributing the ball. And the Jacksonville game, it was it – was there was a huge number of guys that touched it. You look at the second half of the Detroit game, and we got to that combination and mixture of guys. Yesterday, it, it took a while before we got there. And I think, you know, understanding how to spread the ball, we're still trying to find it because we have so many playmakers, but there's only one ball. And we've got to find that combination, whether it starts with running the ball, whether it starts with throwing the ball early on, throwing the shorter passes or the intermediate passes, you know, take a little bit of pressure off the quarterback, and then every now and then throwing the deep one stuff. I mean, it's a combination of things that we're working through and we're trying to find. Yeah, the concept of offensive identity can be tricky and can be overrated. Like, ideally, your offensive identity is that you can do whatever needs to be done to beat a given opponent on a given day. So maybe one game you throw a lot, maybe one game you run a lot. But interesting to hear Ron Rivera bring up running back Brian Robinson Jr. I do think that he was and is going to be a big part of of the offensive plan for the team. Uh, Robinson remains on the reserve non-football injury or illness list. He's been on that since September 1st off uh, having been shot in a leg and hip in an incident in Washington, D.C. on August 28th. You know, Robinson, prior to the game on Sunday, was on the field at FedEx Field running routes. Uh, it was great to see that. 
Uh, while we're talking running back, Antonio Gibson in the loss to the Eagles, 12 carries for 38 yards and a touchdown, one reception for two yards on one target. He played on 44% of the commander's offensive snaps. I thought that Gibson actually ran pretty well. You know, his rushing stats got ruined by two carries. Gibson had two carries that totaled minus 13 yards, but his other 10 carries totaled 51 yards. Commander's third offensive drive resulted in a first quarter punt, first snap of the drive. Antonio Gibson, a first and 10, five-yard shotgun handoff run. Second snap of the drive, Gibson, a second and five, five-yard shotgun handoff run. Commander's fifth offensive drive resulted in a second quarter punt, first snap of the drive. Antonio Gibson, a first and 10, seven-yard shotgun handoff run. Commander's sixth offensive drive resulted in a second quarter punt, first snap of the drive on a first and 10 for the Commanders at their nine. Antonio Gibson had an 11-yard under center handoff run. Commander's eighth offensive drive was their first offensive drive of the second half, resulted in a third quarter three and out. First snap of the drive, Antonio Gibson, a first and 10, six-yard under center handoff run on which he made a great cutback to turn a potential negative yardage run into a six-yard run. But the second snap of the drive, Gibson, a second and four shotgun handoff run for a three-yard loss as he ran right into tight end Logan Thomas. Uh, that was not pretty. Uh, Commander's 10th offensive drive resulted in an early fourth quarter turnover on downs. First snap of the drive, Antonio Gibson, a third quarter, first and 10, five-yard under center handoff run. But the 15th snap of the drive, the final snap of the third quarter, second and goal for the Commanders at the Eagles for Gibson, a disastrous under center handoff run for a 10-yard loss. Uh, blowing the play up was edge defender Josh Sweat who beat left tackle Charles Leno Jr. But then we had the Commanders' 12th offensive drive, their long touchdown drive. Uh, 12 plays, 87 yards, resulted in Antonio Gibson's late fourth quarter second and goal. One-yard shotgun handoff touchdown run to cut the Commanders' deficit to 24-8. Uh, how about the fact that we saw running back Jonathan Williams get a carry on Sunday afternoon? That was interesting. Uh, Williams had one carry for six yards in playing on just a two of the commander's offensive snaps. Commander's fifth offensive drive resulted in a second quarter punt. The third snap of the drive, Jonathan Williams, a third and one six-yard pistol handoff run. Uh, you know, Williams is a physical back. If you are trying to replicate Brian Robinson Jr.'s style until he's back, Williams is the back with whom you perhaps can best do that. Although Antonio Gibson certainly is capable of breaking tackles. Uh, but going back to that cut from Ron Rivera that I played a few minutes ago on offensive identity, interesting to hear Ron bring up targeting tight ends. Uh, Logan Thomas in the loss to the Eagles ended up being like a forgotten man. Logan had two receptions for five yards on three targets and playing on 65% of the commander's offensive snaps. Commander's 10th offensive drive resulted in an early fourth quarter turnover on downs. The sixth snap of the drive, quarterback Carson Wentz, a third quarter, third and three, five-yard shotgun play action completion to Logan Thomas. But the 17th snap of the drive, a fourth and goal at the one. Carson, a shotgun shovel pass to Logan for no gain. Uh, this was Ron Rivera on Monday afternoon on if not yet having an offensive identity is surprising to him or if establishing an offensive identity with a new quarterback just takes time. I think it takes a little bit of time because as you as you get through it and you feel what he does well and doesn't do well, how other guys have adjusted to him. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it, it's it's one of those things. And it's also him getting used to all the targets. You know, he's 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 got Logan out there for the first time, um, and and really just kind of feeling his way with Logan. Um, you know, it's it's it, it, and then same thing with having John Bates out there. I mean, you know, both those guys missed you know all of camp, and now it's you know. But there there is that point. You know that 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 urgency is there that you have to. I mean, we're three games into it, and, and I'd like to believe that we should play better than we are right now, and uh, that's what we're going to work on is just one thing after the other and make sure we're building up and we're playing it, we're playing it, and we're doing it right. I mean, these are things that we know we got to work on, we know we got to be better at, and some of the players that you know, we've talked to as coaches you know, know that we've, hey, we've told them, hey, let's go, it's time to roll, so we'll work on that. With Commander's tight ends beyond Logan Thomas on Sunday afternoon, John Bates had no receptions on one target in playing on 26% of the Commander's offensive snaps. Armani Rogers was not targeted in playing on 18% 
of the commander's offensive snaps. And Cole Turner was inactive for a third time in as many games for the commanders in the 2022 regular season. You know, Cole now is healthy. He has recovered from his hamstring injury. The commanders, though, have continued to have Armani Rodgers active and Cole Turner inactive, uh, despite Rodgers being an undrafted rookie and Turner being a guy on whom the commanders spent a fifth-round pick in the 2022 NFL Draft. Ron Rivera, in a post-practice press conference this past Friday, noted that Rodgers' emergence on special teams has played a role in him being active over Turner. But this is a surprising development, Rodgers being active over Turner, given the good bit of hype that we had for Turner during the offseason. Uh, let's talk Commander's defense. So as I said on Monday's show, episode 407, I actually thought that the Commander's defense in the loss of the Eagles played pretty well, all things considered. Uh, the Commander's defense was without a number of key players for this game, including five defensive linemen. But you had corner William Jackson, the third inactive due to a back injury. And then the five defensive linemen who were out, uh, edge defender Chase Young is on the reserve physically unable to perform list. Edge defender James Smith-Williams was inactive due to an abdominal injury. Edge defender Casey Tuhill was inactive due to a concussion that he suffered in the loss at the Detroit Lions in week two. Interior defensive lineman Fedarian Mathis is on the reserve injured list. Interior defensive lineman Daniel Wise was inactive due to a high ankle sprain that he suffered in the loss at the Lions in week two. I mean, consider who ended up playing for the commanders on Sunday afternoon in terms of defensive linemen. So Deron Payne played on 81% of the commander's defensive snaps. Jonathan Allen played on 73% of the commander's defensive snaps. Montez Sweat played on 71% of the commander's defensive snaps. F.A. Obata played on 51% of the commander's defensive snaps. Ashaka Tony played on 46% of the commander's defensive snaps. William Bradley King played on 34% of the commander's defensive snaps. The commanders on Saturday elevated Bradley King from the practice squad to the active roster for this game. John Ridgway played on 29% of the commander's defensive snaps. John Ridgway is the guy who the commanders on September 19th claimed off waivers from the Dallas Cowboys. The Cowboys took Ridgway in the fifth round of the 2022 NFL Draft out of Arkansas. And Benning Potoai played on 13% of the commander's defensive snaps. Who, what? Yes, Benning Potoai. Uh, the commanders on Saturday elevated Potoai from the practice squad to the active roster for this game. The commanders on September 14th assigned Benning Potoai uh, to the practice squad. And with William Jackson the third out, corner Rashad Wild Goose played on 69% of the commander's defensive snaps. Who? What? Yes, Rashad Wild Goose. Uh, Rashad Wild Goose entered the game having played on just one regular season defensive snap in his NFL career. Rashad Wild Goose is a guy who the commanders on August 31st claimed off waivers from the New York Jets. Uh, he was taken by the Buffalo Bills in the sixth round of the 2021 NFL Draft out of Wisconsin. So you had all of these guys playing for the Commanders on Sunday afternoon. And look, the Commanders in this loss to the Eagles did allow too many big passing plays. The Commanders gave up five passing plays, each of at least 31 yards, although one of those plays should not have counted. Uh, Eagles' third offensive drive resulted in Jake Elliott's early second quarter 32-yard field goal for a 3-0 Eagles lead. Fourth snap of the drive, Jalen Hurts, late first quarter, first and 10, 45-yard shotgun completion to receiver Devontae Smith, the catch should not have counted. Uh, Smith never got his left foot down by the time that he had control of the football. Uh, Ron Rivera threw a challenge flag, but he threw the flag too late. Uh, the commanders in this game did allow Eagles quarterback Jalen Hurts on 35 pass attempts to throw for 340 yards, three touchdowns, and no interceptions. And the commanders got torched by Devontae Smith, who finished with eight receptions for 169 yards and a touchdown on 12 targets. But the commanders also did a number of good things on defense. The commanders allowed Jalen Hurts to complete just 22 of his 35 pass attempts. The commanders totaled seven pass defenses and three sacks. The commanders held the Eagles to just five of 15 on third downs. The commanders stopped the run. The commanders held the Eagles to just 72 yards on 30 carries. That works out to just 2.4 yards per carry. So, you know, I'm not trying to say that the commanders were dominant defensively on Sunday afternoon, but I actually thought that there was a good bit of good from the commanders' defense on Sunday afternoon. Now, regarding the explosive passing plays that the commanders gave up, this was Ron Rivera on Monday afternoon on the commanders in the loss to the Eagles, giving up five passing plays, each of at least 
31 yards. Well, I'll say this, you know, as far as the explosives go on the defensive side, we had guys in position more so than anything else. You know, we weren't quite in position last week. This week we had guys that were there, and it was a matter of, of being able to get get to the ball and make the play on it. You know, we had a guy that was right there going to the ground, and again, it's 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 finished the plays are going to the ground. Keep trying to get that ball, and who knows, maybe that ball moves or something like that. But when you're there, I mean, you're, you're right there. That's hard because he, I mean, if you could locate the ball at full speed running with your back to the quarterback and just knowing when to do it, you know, that 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 would have that would have been that have been great because we had we had a guy there in position each time. Um, and that was that was the hard part about it. Um, you know, again, you know, it doesn't make it easier because in Detroit we, we weren't in position at, uh, down the field on a couple of those to make the play. But this one was tougher because we had guys that worked at it that were there. And unfortunately, um, didn't make the play. That's the hard part on that one. Yeah, I thought that that was a good point by Ron Rivera. The commander's coverage on Sunday afternoon, for the most part, was not terrible. Uh, Now, you can't say that the coverage was good enough. I mean, quarter Kendall Fuller, uh, he in the game for Pro Football Focus was targeted 11 times, gave up nine receptions for 152 yards, including 55 yards after catch, but I did not feel like the commander's secondary got ravaged throughout this game. The defense played well enough to win, and the defense's numbers would have been even better if the commander's offense had done anything of consequence uh, during the competitive portion of the game. Up next, I'm talking Nationals. They now officially are a 100-loss team. Uh, Some brutal honesty from Nats manager Davey Martinez. You'll hear that and much more on the Nats straight ahead. Well, as you surely know, internet security and privacy are major issues. You perhaps have heard of VPN, which stands for Virtual Private Network. A VPN is a service that protects your internet connection and privacy online. I want to tell you about NordVPN. NordVPN keeps your internet connection safe and private and allows you to access region-locked content. With NordVPN, you can safely stream sports, television shows, and movies wherever you travel in the world. NordVPN is one of the most user-friendly VPN services on the market, so you can easily set it up on your smart TV or Apple TV and enjoy watching games with your friends and family. NordVPN shields your data from snoops and criminals, protects you on public Wi-Fi connections, and allows you to secure up to six devices on one account. NordVPN keeps your information encrypted so that you never have to worry about your IP or location getting out. And NordVPN has a threat protection feature that'll mean that you no longer have to worry about intrusive website ads and malware. In fact, even if you download an infected file, threat protection kicks in and deletes the file before it makes a mess of your computer. Go to nordvpn.com slash algaldi to get your subscription started. You can receive a huge discount on a two-year plan and get a free month. That's nordvpn.com slash algaldi. There's a 30-day money-back guarantee, so there's no risk. That's nordvpn.com slash algaldi. nordvpn.com slash algaldi. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Well, Monday was Nationals manager Davey Martinez's 58th birthday. We say happy birthday to Davey and has this for a birthday present a 100th loss. <laughs> uh, the inevitable became official on Monday night. The Nats became a 100-loss team for the 2022 MLB regular season. An 8-0 loss to the National League wildcard leading Atlanta Braves at Nationals Park in Game 1 of a three-game series. That's now a major league worst, 53-100, and 100, with a run differential of minus 222, second-worst run differential in the majors. Uh, we knew that this day was coming, okay? Now, that doesn't make the day any better, but at least, you know, nobody's stunned by this. Uh, but this is the third 100-loss regular season for the Nats since the franchise came to Washington, D.C. in the 2004 2005 offseason. The 2008 Nats went 59 and 102. The 2009 Nats went 59 and 103. And I don't know about you, but to me, the Nats getting to 100 losses officially really just make you appreciate what the Nats did from 2012 through 2019. Eight consecutive winning regular seasons. That is not an easy thing to do. Put aside the postseason stuff, just to have eight straight winning regular seasons is an accomplishment. And five of those seasons were 90 plus win seasons. Uh, This was Davey Martinez during his postgame press conference on Monday night with his reaction to having a 100 loss season. Sucks, right? And we all all know it sucks, but we got to remember what what we're trying to do here, right? And it's going to be a process. Um, So moving forward, you know, hopefully this will be last year we lose 100 games and uh, we get better. And that's and that's the goal is to get, get better, get our young kids better, and uh, when they come up in you know in spring, get get them ready to compete and, and try to win as many games as possible. But um, nobody should be happy losing 100 games. You know it's tough. You know and I know those guys feel it. But like I said, I can't I cannot say enough about how those guys go out and play. They play hard. And uh, and they are getting better. I mean, you know, I see all our young guys getting better. Um, so we get we got to continue to finish the season off and uh, be ready to go next spring. Yeah, good answer there from Davey Martinez. Uh, He then got asked if there are lessons being learned by Nats players this season. Here was Davey's response to that. Uh, Absolutely. I mean, these guys are young. They're playing in the major league, so they get tons of experience. They get tons of coaching. so they could learn a lot, especially with some of these teams that we're playing now that are, that are headed to the playoffs. Um, you know, watch, learn, observe, you know, because one day that's going to be us. So when it comes to the Nats and Monday night's opponent, the Braves, uh, there are many, <laughs> and I mean many things, that separate the 2022 Nats from the 2022 Braves. But there's maybe no bigger thing than the home run. And this game on Monday night perfectly captured this. So the Nats lost to the Braves on Monday night, 8 nothing despite each team finishing with six hits. Yeah, each team had six hits, and yet the Braves scored eight runs, and the Nats scored zero runs. Why? The home run. Now, to be fair, the Braves did draw five walks. The Nats only drew one walk, and the Braves uh, did also draw two hit-by-pitches. But the Braves on Monday night smashed three homers, and the Nats on Monday night hit no homers. Uh, The Braves lead the National League in home runs by miles at 230 the Nats, meantime, are dead last in the National League in home runs at 130. Yeah, the Braves have hit 100 more home runs than the Nats have hit. I mean, think about that, 100 more home runs. Now, also helping the Braves on Monday night with starting pitching prospect Bruce Elder tossing a six-hit shutout. His last name is Elder, and Elder he is not. He is a youngster, but he pitched like an Elder uh, with what he did on Monday night. The Nats starting pitcher on Monday night was Corey Abbott, and he was not good. Uh, Abbott allowed five runs, four earned in five innings. He gave up three hits, two home runs, and a single. He issued three walks and a hit by pitch. He did record seven strikeouts, but all of this added up to Abbott over his five innings, throwing 83 pitches, 52 strikes, 
versus 31 balls. Uh, Abbott did begin his outing by tossing three scoreless innings. That was good, but he in the top of the fourth gave up two runs, issued a one-out hit by pitch of Austin Riley. Abbott then gave up a two-out first pitch, two-run homer to Matt Olson off the right field foul pole for a 2-0 Braves lead. Abbott then issued a two-out six-pitch walk of William Contreras. Uh, Abbott in the top of the fifth allowed a run on a leadoff homer by Marcelo Zuna to left field for a 3-0 Braves lead. Uh, That was quite the shot by Ozuna. The homer went and projected 412 feet per stat cast. And Abbott in a Braves five-run sixth was charged with two runs, but only one of them was earned. Uh, Abbott issued a leadoff six-pitch walk of Austin Riley, despite him having been down to the count at 1.02. Abbott then gave up a single to Michael Harris the second up the middle, and then got pulled in favor of reliever Andres Machado. Here was Davey Martinez during his post-game press conference on Monday night on Corey Abbott. Confusing tonight because he started off really well. Um, but he just when he got the ball up, it was was a, was a problem. When he kept the ball down uh, effectively, he was good. His changeup was good. Curveball was good. Um, so you know, just when you know he missed when he missed up, he got hit hard. But overall, I thought he threw the ball well. You know, we, we got to get him to understand that pitching down for him is good. You know, and he can pitch, he can elevate a fastball, uh, laying counts. You know, because that did work as well. But you know, the rest of the stuff has to stay down below the zone. So, um, overall, you know, he, I mean, he, he goes out there and he competes and he battles. And you know, just got to get him through. Like I said, got to get him, get him to continually throw the ball down. So we had what happened with Corey Abbott on Monday night. And then we had what happened with Andres Machado. Uh, he allowed three runs, all of which were unearned in what ended up being a five-run Brave six. Machado came into the game in the top of the six with runners on first and third, no outs, and the Nats trailing three nothing. He gave up an RBI sack fly to Matt Olson for a four nothing Braves lead. Machado then issued a one out hit by pitch of William Contreras. Machado then induced a grounder up the middle off the bat of Eddie Rosario to shortstop C.J. Abrams. Now Abrams stepped on second for one out, threw to Joey Manessis at first base for what should have been the third out, but Manessis didn't make the catch for a missed catch error, allowing Michael Harris II to score. Uh, The throw from Abrams wasn't great, but Manessis could have made the catch. I mean, he was attempting to make a lunging backhanded catch and just did not make the catch. And, you know, we have been singing the praises of Joey Manessis defensively at first base. That obviously was not a great moment for him. And then Andres Machado made things much worse. He gave up a two-out opposite field RBI double to Marcelo Zuna to the right center field gap on an 0-2 pitch for a 6-0 Braves lead. And then Machado gave up a two-out two-run homer to Orlando Arcia to center field for an 8-0 Braves lead, despite Arcia having been down to the count at 1.12. The homer went and projected 411 feet for StatCast. So things got ugly in that five-run Brave six inning. And, you know, it's kind of funny to me. I mean, if all you do is look at the box score, Andres Machado on Monday night allowed three runs, all of which were unearned. And so you might say to yourself, well, Andres Machado, what's he going to do? You know, the runs were unearned. If you actually watch the game, he did not pitch well at all. I mean, it seems ridiculous that none of these runs ended up being earned runs of Andres Machado, uh, who was not sharp in this outing. Uh, the Nats bullpen for the rest of the game was good. Jordan Weems, a scoreless top of the seventh. Mason Thompson, scoreless top of the eighth. Steve Ciszek, a perfect top of the ninth. Uh, the Nats' lone extra base hit on Monday night came from Luis Garcia. He was an Nats starting second baseman and number six batter. He went two for three with a double and a single. Garcia in the bottom of the second had a two-out opposite field single to left field on an 0-2 pitch. And Garcia in the bottom of the fifth had a one-out first pitch double to right field. Uh, C.J. Abrams did have another hit. He was an ad starting shortstop and number two batter. One for four with a single. Abrams in the bottom of the sixth. A one-out single through the right side of the infield on a one-two pitch. But overall, not much happening for the Nats offensively in this game. Luke Voigt on Monday night was an ad starting DH and number four batter. 0 for four with a strikeout. And he left four men on base. You know, Voigt is not ending his season in a good way. Luke Voigt's slash line for the month of September now is the following. Batting average at 253, on base percentage of 324, slugging percentage of 374. I mean, you can live with a 253 batting average. You can maybe even possibly live with a 324 on base if the guy is hitting for power, but Luke Voigt is slugging a mere 374. 
in this month of September. Cesar Hernandez on Monday night was an at starting left fielder and number five batter, 0 for 4 with a strikeout. Dropping his OPS for the 2022 regular season to a mere 628. You know, Cesar Hernandez has by far the most plate appearances for the Nats in the 2022 regular season, 593, that he has been allowed to accumulate nearly 600 plate appearances, despite having an OPS that now is at 628. Uh, That is something, man. That is something. That is a function of many things. Uh, But geez, I mean, that is not what you call optimal having the guy who leads you by miles in plate appearances having an OPS as low as Cesar Hernandez's OPS is. I mean, think about this. By the end of the season, Cesar Hernandez's total of plate appearances may be higher than his OPS. Okay, as things stand right now, Cesar Hernandez has 593 plate appearances and an OPS of 628. It could end up being that his <laughs> his total of plate appearances is higher than his OPS. Again, not optimal. Uh, we did have a standout catch by Lane Thomas on Monday night. That was good to see. So the Lane train was an ad starting right fielder and number one batter. He went one for four with a single and made a nice catch in deep right field. Uh, Thomas in the bottom of the sixth had a one-out single to center field. And Thomas in the top of the fourth, a very nice leaping catch near the right field fence of a deep fly ball off the bat of Eddie Rosario for the third out. And this was significant because Lane Thomas has had trouble with fly balls near outfield walls. But Thomas on Monday night made the catch near the right field fence. Uh, Davey Martinez during his postgame press conference on Monday night on Lane Thomas's catch. And then you'll hear a follow-up exchange. Awesome. I mean, he, he got back to the wall. He hit the wall. Um, but, you know, at least he got back there. And that's something that we talked about, um, you know, all year long for him is to just get back to the, the wall and give yourself a chance. And he did that tonight. Where do you think he's made the biggest strides on defense this season? You know what? He, you know, he, he's done well in all three outfield positions. In right field, he's done exceptionally well. We saw him throwing. He come against the ball really well. Um, I, th- I think his first step definitely helped him out a lot. He's, he's getting... Uh, He's getting better routes on the ball, um, which definitely helps him out as well. So, but the all overall, you know, we're, we're still trying to get him aggressive out there, you know, and um, and he's getting he's gotten a lot better this year, and I'm proud of him because um, he struggled in the beginning, you know, with everything, and I'm proud of him working hard and uh, going out there and, and competing, and um, and he's done really well. Yeah, so we've seen Lane Thomas hit well lately, and we have seen some improved defense from Lane Thomas lately. Also regarding the Nats on Monday night was another minor league rehab start for Mackenzie Gore. So Mackenzie Gore was one of the six players who the Nats got from the San Diego Padres for right fielder Juan Soto and first baseman Josh Bell in the mega trade of this past August 2nd. Gore is coming off elbow inflammation. The hope has been that he might make one major league start for the Nats before the end of their 2022 season. But His minor league rehab outings have been mixed, and he on Monday night did not do so well. Uh, A 6-1 loss for the AAA Rochester Red Wings to the Worcester Red Sox in a rain-shortened game. Gore, six runs in three and two-thirds innings. Uh, He gave up six hits, three homers, a triple, and two doubles. So each of the six hits was an extra base hit. Uh, He issued a walk. He issued a wild pitch. He recorded three strikeouts. I mean, <laughs> not exactly ideal. Uh, here was Davey Martinez during his postgame press conference on Monday night on Mackenzie Gore. Yeah, I saw our, um, I saw the reports. Um, we got through three innings you know, fairly well. Uh, fourth inning was, again, once again, you know, he, he lost command of his, his fastball, started getting everything up. Um, but he threw 67 pitches, so that's good. Um, so we'll see. You know, He'll meet us back here. We'll see how he's feeling, and then uh, we'll assess what we're going to do with him next. All right, so we'll see. I mean, the way it works with these minor league rehab outings is that they're not necessarily all about the results. You know, a lot of these minor league rehab outings are more just about the process and how a guy is feeling and how a guy comes out of the start, those kinds of things. But, you know, for a young pitcher like Gore, I think the results do matter at least a little bit in these minor league rehab outings. And for him to, you know, give up six hits with each hit being an extra base hit, for him to give up six runs and three and two thirds innings, you know, not exactly 
what you want if you're going to have Gore make a major league start for you before the end uh, of the season. I have felt all along that it's 50-50 at best that Mackenzie Gore will make a start for the Nats at the major league level this season, just because like so little has gone well for the Nats this season. But it would be cool to see Gore make a major league start. So we'll see what the Nats have to say about Gore coming off this outing. But obviously, the results of the outing uh, were not good. Uh, the Padres took Mackenzie Gore with the number three pick in the 2017 MLB draft out of a high school in North Carolina. This season is his age 23 season. Game two against the Braves at Nationals Park Tuesday night at 7.05. Paolo Espino will be the Nats starting pitcher. Well, a crazy night for the Orioles on Monday night, but also a winning night. A 14-8 win at the Boston Red Sox in game one of a four-game series as the O's, Joe Angel, were back in the win column. And the Orioles again in the win column. Yes, Joe, the all-important win column. Uh, The O's are fighting for their postseason lives now are 80 and 73 and three and a half games behind the Seattle Mariners for the American League's third wild card spot. The O's have nine games left in the 2022 regular season. So this game on Monday night featured a one hour, 40 minute rain delay. The Orioles starting pitcher Jordan Lyles allowed two runs in two innings, then did not return to the game after the rain delay. Uh, The Orioles' bullpen, not exactly stellar. Spencer Watkins allowed four runs in four into third innings. He is back at the Major League level. The O's on Friday recalled Watkins from AAA Norfolk as the corresponding roster move to placing starting pitcher Tyler Wells on the 15-day injured list, retroactive to September 20th with right shoulder inflammation, likely ending Wells' 2022 regular season. Also on Monday night, Logan Gillespie allowed two runs, one earned in two and two-thirds innings. So Watkins and Gillespie at least were able to cover the rest of the game, even though, yeah, some runs were given up. But some runs were scored by the O's as well. The O's on Monday night hit like crazy. 14 runs, 14 hits, eight walks, six for 12 with runners in scoring position. A number of Orioles had big games. Anthony Santander hit two home runs in a game for a second time in three games. He has the Orioles starting DH and number three batter went two for six with two homers, giving him 31 home runs in the 2022 regular season. So Santander, now a member of the 30 home run club for this season. Santander in an Orioles three-run sixth, a leadoff homer to right field for a 9-5 Orioles lead. That homer went a projected 403 feet per stat cast. Santander in an Orioles two-run seventh, a two-out, two-run homer to right field on a 1-2 pitch for a 13-5 Orioles lead. Cedric Mullins on Monday night. He is the Orioles starting center fielder and number one batter, two for six with a solo homer and a two-run triple. Uh, Mullins in the Orioles one-run first, a leadoff homer to right field for a one nothing Orioles lead. The homer went a projected 402 feet per stat cast. Mullins in an Orioles four-run second, a two-run triple off the center field warning track on a 1-2 pitch for a 4-0 Orioles lead. Gunnar Henderson on Monday night. He is the Orioles starting third baseman and number five batter. One for two with a two-run homer and three walks. And the homer by Henderson was a moonshot. Henderson in the Orioles three-run sixth, a two-run homer on a bomb to center field for an 11-5 Orioles lead. The homer went a projected 427 feet for StatCast. And Kyle Stowers on Monday night, he is the Orioles starting left fielder and number eight batter, three for five with an RBI triple, an RBI single, and another single. Stowers in an Orioles one run third, a two out opposite field RBI triple to left field for a 6-2 Orioles lead. An excellent offensive performance for the O's off them. Remember having lost the final two games of a four game series against the American League leading Houston Astros at Oriole Park at Camden Yards. Every game is precious at this point for the O's. Here was O's manager Brandon Hyde during his post-game session with reporters on Monday night. 
Yeah, I mean, it was, uh, we, we swung the bats extremely well tonight, and uh, we needed it because after, you know, after the, uh, the rain delay and with so many guys down in the pen today, I was going to have to pitch a couple guys maybe three days in a row if, that, if it got to that. And, and fortunately, you know, Spencer Rawkins comp- really picked us up uh, by able to throw strikes and then Glassby being able to go the last two, two plus. That uh, was absolutely huge for us and huge for our bullpen. But um, really happy with how we swung the bat tonight, obviously. Yes, sir. Game two for the O's at the Red Sox Tuesday night at 7-10. Kyle Bradish will be the Orioles' starting pitcher. And that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Wednesday show, episode 409, will feature a special guest talking commanders, the mysterious Kyle Smith for GM. He's a writer for Hogshaven, which is the SB Nation site for the commanders. He's a smart guy, writes a lot of good pieces, and he has just come out with a piece on quarterback Carson Wentz in the nine sacks that Carson took in the 24-8 loss to the Philadelphia Eagles at FedEx Field on Sunday afternoon. So we'll talk about that and a lot more with our one and two commanders. Also on Wednesday's show, I'll talk Nationals and Orioles. The Nats on Tuesday night at 7.05. We'll begin game two of a three-game series against the National League wildcard leading Atlanta Braves at Nationals Park. The O's on Tuesday night at 7.10. We'll begin game two of a four-game series at the Boston Red Sox. Have a great rest of your Tuesday, and I'll talk to you on Wednesday. I think the thing that, you know, that, 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 that's really difficult for me is that if I do make an issue of something, then, and in all honesty, some of you will make it a bigger issue. And that's what I don't need because I'm trying to get our guys to understand what we're trying to do. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.